the, the bigger explanation behind what I'm about to do is this is a time of year where we have so many rich stories. All four of the gospel writers tell the story in detail of Jesus's passion and his journey to the cross. And we know of some people who are present. We know about Mary. We know about Judas that we heard of today. We know about Peter. But in the, story, uh, in the stories of the Bible, there are always other people watching from a distance. And we are, all dis- we are all watching from a distance today. We are worshiping distantly from each other. And what I like to do is to take my imagination or take our imagination and ask, okay, who might some of these people be? That were in the stories, but they're not, but their names didn't make it into scripture. And how would they tell that story today? So today we heard, as Bill read beautifully earlier, that the, the disciples were preparing for the Passover. And Jesus told them to go to a certain place, and a certain man would meet them and be ready for them to prepare for the Passover. I got to thinking, what if that certain man had a wife? And what if that wife was present there as well? And what if she were helping to get that room clean and ready? And what would she have overheard? And what might she have learned? Let us pray. And now, O Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. If through the words of this human being we do not hear your voice, O God, speak to each of us then, hear in the quietness of the heart. Amen. Today you heard a story from my friend Matthew's gospel. Now you may be wondering, why am I friends with Matthew? Well, let me clarify. I was friends with Matthew. My husband and I were. You see, we kind of ran in the same class of society. Let me refresh your memory. In case you uh, did not read a few chapters back in this gospel, Matthew, before he became a devoted follower of Jesus, he was also known as Levi, and he was a tax collector. He was the least likely person to be called into this ministry of the traveling rabbi. Tax collectors were despised. Tax collectors were not liked, but tax collectors did very well for themselves. They were wealthy. They were well endowed with many gifts, monetary gifts, that is. Well, my husband and I, I have to confess to you, God, we have been very blessed financially. And our life, that's why we had a house big enough and a room big enough that when these, this traveling rabbi and his followers came to town, we were able to give them the space that they needed and wanted. You see, back when Matthew decided to follow Jesus, my husband and I, at first we were mad. We thought, what are you doing? You're giving up so much that is good. Yeah, a lot of society doesn't like you, but those of us who are wealthy and who run together with our wealth, we couldn't understand why you would give all of that up, Matthew. And yet we heard stories over these past three years that he's been following Jesus, that he's been working with Jesus. We've been, and it, we've been hearing these stories that Matthew has been changed. And we couldn't help but wonder what has changed him. We can't help but wonder what has transpired to make him this totally different person for whom the wealth of this world means nothing. So we started communicating with him again. We started finding out exactly what it was about Jesus. And he told us these stories 
of the miracles of the sick who were healed, of the dead who were raised. These stories of how he told parable stories that we could understand what he was saying. And it made sense. This kingdom of God that he spoke of made sense for the first time. And we were so delighted because we had finally encountered something bigger than ourselves that not only we understood, but that understood us. And so we begin to look at our wealth differently. We begin to look at our blessings and our time and our energy differently. We begin to ask what we could do differently. So when we heard that the rabbi was coming to town and Matthew was, of course, with him, we wondered, what can we do for him? What can we offer to this one? How can we spend some time with him, getting to know him better? And we were so delighted. When Matthew came running to us and threw his arms around us and his friends were with him and he said, we've got a way that you too can help us. We need a place to celebrate the Passover. And of course we said yes and I started getting ready. I got others to help me to clean this room. We wanted it to be as perfect as possible. We offered them some of our food. We were just so delighted and then the rabbi himself came in. And, oh, I hoped that he would love this room, he would love my home so much that he would want to stay for weeks and we could just sit at his feet like his friend Mary, friends Mary and Martha did. We could just sit at his feet and glean from him and learn from him. But there was something different when they arrived. The rabbi was distracted. And one of the men was missing, the one that was the treasurer, the one called Judas. Matthew had been suspicious about him for a while. He told us that in some of his correspondence with us. And finally, as we were getting the room ready, Judas returned, and he had that look on his face that um, you can only describe as guilt. You can only describe as not making eye contact with anybody. When we were introduced to him, he turned away. He seemed angry. He seemed upset. He was anywhere but there. And so I began following him, and I began listening to him, and I was paying attention to him, and I began to remember what another word on the street that I was hearing, that there were many who wanted to kill the rabbi, many who did not have the first-hand knowledge of the story from Matthew like my husband and I did, and that they were wanting to bring him to death, to arrest him and bring him to death. And as I watched the treasurer named Judas, acts so strangely, mumbling under his breath, perhaps I hope crying out in confession, but probably not at that moment, because he was struggling with something that I couldn't understand. And as I watched him, and as I observed, I realized that I was watching a transformation of brotherhood into betrayal. I didn't want to leave when I realized that something fishy was going on. So I found a way to stay and to continue serving the rabbi and the disciples throughout the meal that evening. And I overheard him look at all of them and say, one of you is going to betray me. And they all jumped back. They all sat back and said, oh, goodness, no, it couldn't be. I Could it be I? Did you notice that in the scripture reading that you heard from Matthew today? They were asking, is it I, Lord? They began to search their they begin to say, am I capable of this? And that is what we all should still be asking to the sacreds. Are we capable of doing the unthinkable to our Lord? Every time we curse another brother or sister, every time 
we steal from each other. Every time we are consumed with jealousy. Every time that we use hateful speech against each other. Are you aware that you are betraying him over and over again? Is it I, Lord? Yes, it is I. All of us are capable of denying and betraying the Lord. I watched one who knew him best do so. Jesus looked away from them and focused his attention on Judas. And he said to him the words that confirmed what I had already sensed and I knew many others did as well. And Judas looked at him and said, surely not I. Surely not I. Do you hear the difference there, friends? That condescending cry, the grief that was so present that it, that had taken over him to the point that he said, how could somebody like me do that? This is a day where I encourage you, as I look back on this experience all these years later, I encourage you to search your heart and not be one who responds with pride. Surely I would never do any of these things. But instead recognize that is it I, Lord, we are all capable of sin. We are all capable of falling. We are all in need of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. None of us are immune from sin, but all of us are worthy of grace. I just couldn't leave that night. I had to stay close by to make sure everything was okay. And in a few moments, we're going to recount what happened immediately after Jesus confronted Judas. He got up from the table. He took the bread. And he served everybody but Judas. No. He served Judas too. He held up the cup and said, this is my blood given for you. Surely his blood was not given for Judas, right? Surely he just took the cup and let it go right past him. No. Even the one who went from brotherhood to betrayal, Jesus still fed as a brother. And that night began the longest few days of humanity's history. Because in those days that followed, from the moment everybody rose from that table and went to the garden, and Judas's plan of greed was in action. From that moment forward, we were transformed from betrayal to brotherhood. I look back on that day, and I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for the witness of friends like Matthew. I'm so thankful for the 11 who, even though they failed, they came back around. They repented. They followed. And Jesus took their betrayal, their abandonment, their denial, and looked at them many days later and still said, you are my brothers. And even though I was not there for all of it, I can look back today and see him looking at me and saying, yeah, you made some mistakes in your life. Yeah, you were consumed by greed at one time too. But I have turned, I have transformed who you are into my sister. We are all brothers and sisters when we reach that place of repentance, friends, where we say, is it I, Lord? Yes, it is I who need your grace. It is I who need your body and your blood. Help me to serve as you have so graciously served each of us. To the glory of the Father, 
the Son, and the Holy Spirit, blessed three in one, now and forever. Amen.